Right, we are in Revelation chapter 12. We asked the question last week, what happens when you come to the end? The end of chapter 11, we see the seventh trumpet, and we talked about the judgment. And uh, So what happens when you come to the end, and there's still more material? Um, I think the good deduction is to start over. Uh, and, and Revelation follows the same pattern as the book of Daniel. Um, in that, or at least the, the second part of Daniel, where it goes through a, a period of history, and then he, he's going to trace back through it and give some more details um, in, in prophetic language. So we're going to read the entire chapter of 12 and try to get through it, uh, being as how we've gone through some of these uh, things, we're not going to have to do as much explanation about everything. Uh, some of it will look familiar, and this is one of the things that, that kind of gives us there's earmarks in here that you'll see that, that show that this is about something we've already talked about. And we'll see that a number of those as we, we go through here. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head there was a garland of twelve stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and uh, seven crowns on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to the throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she, was, uh, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there once uh, 1,000... 260 days. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels uh, and his angels fought. They did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with them. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, uh, has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Uh, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell with them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. What draws our attention? We've talked about the, the parts of these that draw your attention. What draw your attention in this? What, what figure draws your attention? A dragon. Anything else? The woman. Some of these, there's one. 
But there's a dragon and a woman. This is one person's rendition. Um, most of the pictures of this do not portray her as she is. What condition is she when she goes into the wilderness? She's pregnant. Right? Most pictures of uh, the artist's rendition do not show her correctly. Um, so uh, we're going to look at some of the, the things that have to do. Now, right off the bat, what, would you, what, what does this sound like? If you just, you're not really a Bible student, or what, what does this sound like? Does this not sound like Mary and Jesus, right? What, what are the aspects of this that sound like Mary and Jesus? Okay, so, so there's all these pictures that seem similar, right? And maybe that was intentional, um, but, I mean, we got Herod, right? That, that kind of sounds like Herod trying to get rid of Jesus. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of, uh, I have the child Jesus ruling the world, right? That would sound similar. But what we're going to see is that this cannot be for a number of reasons. It has to be something else. Um, well, the one nice thing is that he's labeled for us, at least one of the, the things, is, is the dragon, Satan. We're going to get into a little bit more of, of this specific, the serpent. Um, and and he, had, he takes a third of the angels. Does that sound familiar to you? Right? Isn't that kind of what we've been taught? When did that happen? Okay, we, we talk about the fall of Satan, and that's typically referred to, is, that, uh, is, is he kicked out of, you know, at the Garden of Eden, or is he kicked out at, at Christ's death, uh, something like that, right? And these are, these are various things, and so we have a lot of things that come from this interpretation. Uh, can you identify some false doctrines that might have come from this interpretation? What's the description of, allegedly, Mary, if this is Mary? What's the description of her? Kind of angelic oh, a little bit more than angelic. She's almost divine, isn't she? Yes. That's coming. Clothed with the sun. Yeah. Well, yes, she gets the wings. Yes, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. She gets the wings later, but she's clothed with the sun, and she stands on the moon, and a garland of stars around her head. She almost has a divine representation here. And, and that is going to come directly from this understanding uh, or this interpretation. There are some things in here that make it difficult uh, as we look at things. And we're, but before we do that, I want to look at the key to our vision. What is the key to deciphering this? There's a, just a piece of information that's very important in placing this in history. Something we've already talked about and gone through in detail. What is here? Time. Okay, there's a time element here, which is 1,260 days. We've already talked about that. We've already established when that is, haven't we? So we know, first of all, if, if that was correct interpretation, right? If that was correct, uh, that, uh, that we're not talking about Mary. We can't be talking about, but, but let's stop from that because that's still an interpretation. Let's look at some things that tell us that this 
cannot be Mary. There's a flaw in the storyline. What is the condition, we talked about it, of Mary as she goes into the wilderness? Hmm? Pregnant. She's pregnant. When did Mary go to Egypt? After the birth. And possibly two years after the birth. Because Herod destroyed all the babies two years and younger when he found out the time that the star had appeared. This is not Mary. This is a prophetic figure of something else. Right? Um, let's see. Let's look at some other details here. Mary, where did she flee to? Where did she go to? Egypt. The most populated place in the area. Not exactly a wilderness. The most fertile place in the area. That's where people got their food from. Right? She fled from the wilderness. Really, Jerusalem was... I mean, Palestine was much more what you would consider a wilderness than, than Egypt. Now we think of Egypt as a big desert. It was not the case 2,000 years ago. Um, what happens after she flees? In this, what, what is the condition after Mary flees? Yeah, well, I mean, the quote-unquote Mary. We're, we're, still, we're still working from the assumption that this would be Mary, right? Uh, this interpretation. We're, we're humoring the interpretation for now. What, what would the, what, this woman, well, I'll try to make it distinct so we don't confuse you. This woman, what is her condition as she flees into the wilderness? What happens to her? Okay, he pursues her. He, he's angry with her, and he's persecuting her. What is the condition of Mary when she goes to Egypt? Do we have any indication that God hid them? Right? That there's no indication that anything happened to Mary, Joseph, or Jesus. She's protected there. And, she, and, and God says, the ones who sought the life of the child are dead. You can go back now. Right? So, so nothing in the storyline fits. It, it, there, I mean, I shouldn't say nothing, but the, there's characters and there's similarities, but nothing really fits. You know, um, so... Um, So we talk about this 1260 these days, and we talked about uh, 12, being 1260 years. We come to this other reference. What is a time times and a half time? What do you suppose that means? I guess it's really confusing. Algebra. Huh? Algebra. <laughs> yes, it does. It sounds like algebra. It's like, well, let's look at that. What do you suppose a time could mean? Century. Could mean a century. We had a 
day equal a year. Let's try, a, a, let, let's try this as a year. If, if time equaled a year, well then what would times be? If x equals time, what is 2x? <laughs> Algebra. <laughs> I thought there would be no math this morning. Uh, so what would that be? Obviously a half a year. So what do we have? What's our time? 360. Three and a half years. Anybody want to take a wild guess how many years at 360 days per year we would be looking at? Right? We'd be looking at exactly three and a half years. 42 months. Right? This is a key. He's given us the key to understand who this is. We've already talked about this influence. Now we're looking at the same thing in history that we talked about really the last two weeks. And only now he's going to give some different figures. He's going to talk about a dragon. And, uh, and it's going to continue into the next chapter. And we're going to see this again several times uh, with some different details. And so the woman, we're going to have to identify as not being Mary. So let's look at the woman. Who, we talked about her description. right? She's clothed with the sun. She's got the moon at her feet. And there are 12 stars. What do we talked about sun, moon, and stars typically tend to be? They tend to be important people. I suppose that it's possible that that's not always the case. If this is not Mary, right, uh, what would we potentially look at the sun as? Clothed with the sun. Let's just plug this in. Let's just presume that that's Christ. What does Christ signify? What's that? Light. Light? The beginning and the end. Okay, the beginning and the end. But specifically, he's connected with what? What is Christ most connected with in terms of the Father? Hmm? The He's the Son of God, and that kind of, in our language, that's kind of convenient. That Son and Son kind of sounds the same. Probably not in theirs. So, uh, he is most connected with being the Messiah of the New Testament. Uh, so we're going to come back to the Moon in just a second. What do you suppose these twelve stars are? That would sound, that would sound to me important. Well, then who is the Moon? It's at her feet. Satan? The dragon is Satan. Let's try Moses. Who is this woman? We've got different types of light, don't we? We have Christ, the big light. We have apostles sending out light. Don't we have Moses giving a dimmer light, not his own light, but right. don't we have a representation of, of what we talked about, those witnesses, the scriptures? He's doing a reflection. Mm-hmm. And, and really, uh, this, this picture is, is carried throughout. The, the Bible talks about the Old Testament being very dim in, in, in reference to the New Testament. Right, there's all these references. 
And so I think we have a woman representing a group of people. Has a woman ever represented a group of people in the Bible before? Church. Okay, the bride of Christ. The Old Testament. What, what were Jews referred to as? The daughter of Zion. Remember that reference? Remember in, um, uh, in, um, in Galatians, their reference to Hagar and, and Sarah. Numerous times throughout our scriptures, a woman is used to reference a group of people, good or bad. We're going to find another woman in Revelation too. Not so nice one. Um, so I think we can talk about the church. That seems to wrap up all these pictures. We have Satan maybe harassing the church, which we've kind of established in the previous weeks. Um, let's look at the child then. Well, if the child, if Mary's not the woman, then the child is not Christ. Because this woman is clothed with Christ. Oh, wait, and that's a, a familiar, right? Clothed with Christ, Galatians again. So who then would the child be? Who would the offspring of the church be? That's kind of interesting, if that's the case. Okay. Would be more Christians, wouldn't it? Right? This is maybe, uh, we have to look at, why a man? Is this a misogynistic uh, reference here? Is the apostles all misogynistic? Why? He specifies a male child. What was important about a male child at this time in history? Okay, not, not really by John's time. Okay. The, at any time prior to 70 AD, yes, to a certain degree. What is significant in their world about a male? An inheritance. inheritance. He's an inheritance. And that's the picture here. People are inheriting something from the church. Who's inheriting? is more Christians, right? The dragon became furious with the woman and went off uh, to make war on the rest of their offspring. And those who keep the commandments of God hold to the testimony of Jesus. So it's clearly referencing Christians as offspring. Those who are faithful. There's multiple generations. We could look at it several ways. Multiple generations of the church. Or we could look at it as the difference between how God identifies the group, kind of this is my church, and it, it's a, I don't want to say organization, but in how God might look at an organization as the, the group without specific reference to an individual. And then as individuals within that, right? We're both, right? We're a church, but within the church, there's individuals. God has a a reference of himself to his bride, the church, and then he references us individually. And that, those are both important references that we understand. He has, a, he has a point at which he considers a group faithful and not faithful, and he has a point at which he considers individuals faithful or not faithful, and he has kind of both of those types of uh, relationships happening. So uh, we have this male and this Air. We're going to come, we're just getting the characters here, Get the cast of characters. We're handing out like for a play. We're going to look at some of the events here in a second. 
so we have this child, and of course we want to look uh, at the dragon. Now we've al already identified him, right? He's named uh, in verse 9 as the devil and Satan. But I want to look at this because how is he described? What is the description that sticks out to you? Okay. What is the, the attractive, the ooh, interesting description of him? Oh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Seven heads and ten horns. Seeing as how everything else has been prophetic in this and, and symbolic, I'm, I don't think Satan himself, whatever he looks like, has seven heads and ten horns. Just going to guess that. I've already seen this in Daniel, actually. Daniel's already referenced this. We went through this when we did Daniel, what, a year ago? He is referenced in Daniel 9, we're not going to read that, but as the fourth of four creatures that arose upon the earth. Anybody remember what the first three were? There, a hint. He went through and talked about this statue that was four items of a statue, and then he goes through it in four animals. Yeah, there was the eagle and there was the lion, all those things, right? So, so, so those were the four creatures. Do you remember what they re represent? Babylon. Babylon was the first. Medes and the Persians and Greece. And Greece, okay. And then those were the first three. The Medes and Persians are kind of together. And the fourth one was? Rome. Rome. And that was the one with seven heads and ten horns. We're going to get to the... Uh, we're going to get to the, uh, some of those uh, in chapter 17. He's going to come back yet again. And he's going to explain some more about this thing. Right? And we'll get to some more of the specific fulfillments then, uh, as those are part of the details there. But uh, that's seven heads and ten horns. What are they? And, um, we talk about Daniel 7 and being Rome. We will talk about this because we... One reference this, we talked about it last week. Those ten powers. A horn is a power. That, that was, uh, there were horns on the altar to reference, to, to symbolize the power of God. And, um, the, the horns were always a symbol of power. It was on their statues. and Not just in Jewish, but, but in, even in, among pagans, the horn represented power. Everybody understood this idea. And we talk about Rome being built on seven powers. Uh, so, um, we want to look then at the events. If we've identified this, we should have, you know, some type of confirmation as we go through this. If not, if you're off somewhere apparent, it goes, I'm off. That doesn't make sense, right? So, let's look at events. Let's look, first of all, at verse 11. Uh, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. All right? Um, some group of people did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they, di they didn't love their lives so much that they would refuse death. All right? They died for what? Yes? So my, my translation they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Right, yeah. I, I think that's kind of a better understanding. 
of, of what they're what is being driven at. They had so little love for their lives, they ended up dying for it, is, is another way of saying that. What could we be talking about that we've already talked about? Okay, persecutions, that great tribulation, right, uh, that we talked about. Those, those ten emperors that, that persecuted and, and destroyed so many Christians throughout the Roman Empire. This great dragon. Um, it's interesting. Um, Notice how he's addressed in the first, uh, the first section. He's addressed differently. He's called the accuser in the first section. And I think, Jack, you talked about what he's referred to in the second section. Deceiver. is a subtle shift. Not to say that... He stopped accusing at some point and that he never deceived. He's both from the beginning. But, but there seems to be a shift at some point in time in how, what his main tools are. He's, it, it, he's referenced here more as the deceiver once we get to this conflict and once he seems to be on the losing side of this particular conflict. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to... Um, point out, uh, by the way, and I kind of skipped over it. We talked about what false doctrines might come from this um, because we're going to talk about Michael a little bit. Did Michael defeat Satan? Well, I guess we have to get more information. That's, that's a, that question is impossible to answer because we have to know when we're talking about Ultimately, no. Ultimately, no. Christ did, right? We know that. The ultimate defeat of Satan is Christ's. He might have defeated him out of heaven. Or, or whatever it and was. It more than right. one war. Exactly, exactly. We're going to talk about Michael. Uh, but out of this, and, and we talked last week about making a composite character, all right? Um, there is a religion that has made a composite character out of both Christ, Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness, where Jesus becomes Michael the Archangel because he defeats him. Well, Christ defeated him, and here we have Michael defeating him. Therefore, this must be the same person. See how dangerous some of this interpretation stuff can be. So, I uh, just wanted to reference that. I'd forgotten that. Uh, so, in this, he tries to assault the woman, the church. And so we get to this war with uh, Michael. Um, do you remember how Michael was referred to in Daniel? He was the great prince of Israel, God's people. And in, uh, in Daniel 9, Daniel gets this vision. He's really scared, and he prays to God. He's like, I want to know this. What, what does this mean? And the angel, there's an angel that comes to him and says, sorry, I kind of got delayed on the way here. I was fighting with some other angels. Right? That's kind of weird to us, but 
but apparently angels have bad days too. And, uh, and, and so I was like, kind of, kind of uh, I had to stop and fight this other angel. And fortunately, Michael came here, helped me with them. The angel he was fighting with was the angel of Babylon. At the same time in which there's a conflict between Israel and Babylon, he's fighting an angel of Babylon. He says, now, uh, I've got to go back and finish that fight. Actually, it's not over. Uh, and then after that, the angel of the Medes and Persians is going to come. And what do we know is going to happen right after Babylon? The Medes and the Persians are going to rise to power. There's this weird connection between what angels do that we can't see and political things that happen on this planet. I know it's weird, but the Bible makes that connection. So let's see if we see some political connections. We see the, the, this Rome, right? This, uh, this event between Michael and Satan as the power behind the throne, so to speak. What happens that we talked about if we have a war with Michael? By the way, we've seen a third, haven't we, before in Revelation? Where did we see a third referenced? Quite a number of times. You remember when we went through the first four trumpets? A third of this fell, and a third of that fell, and it was always references to some aspect of Rome falling, wasn't it? And we see here a third of the stars. We're going to talk about what those mean. Those are different prominent people from the apostles. That was 12 stars. But, um, let's see, kind of behind here. He's cast down. Well, if the power behind Rome was cast down in this conflict that results in political things, what should we expect to see? The fall of Rome. The fall of Rome. Do we see in this general reference, this general period of time, such thing happen? Yes. This is all, really, the puzzles all fit together, don't they? I think the war wasn't immediate. I think just like this angel had some difficulty and needed some help and had to go back and help Michael after giving a message, that, that wars with Satan take some time. Paganism ends in 313. That undercuts a lot of what Satan was trying to do in the world. He was being very aggressive up until that point, wasn't he? But he's going to have to take a, a little different tack on things now that Constantine has ended paganism. Not, Constantine, not a great guy, but he ends one element of, or at least temporarily, of what Satan was doing with the power of Rome. And about 160 years later, Rome itself falls. So Satan is going to have to regroup and figure out what he's doing. I'm going to get to this third here in a second. Um, let's back up here. I don't want to get there. Apparently I didn't put these in my things here. A third of the stars. 
and what it could possibly refer to. Um, if we back up way, way back, we talked about how there were kind of three divisions of the Roman Empire. The two are the most obvious, the Western and the Eastern. Do you remember what we talked about as, as that one century, those four trumpets? There were these various barbarian forces that were coming in on Rome. It's, it's getting sacked. Boom, 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 beginning in 410. All right, we have the Vandals and the Visigoths and the Huns and finally the Heruli. And Odoacer becomes the first barbarian king of Italy. In fact, that was kind of an interesting thing is that by the end of this century, it's no longer even referenced, people don't reference it as the Roman Empire. It's referenced as the kingdom of Italy. It's shrinking. And as it shrinks, right, we talked about those ten powers, those, those ten horns are emerging. England gets her independent. The Anglo-Saxons ruled there, and, and the, the Suevi, and, and all these different, it, it's pulling in on itself. They can't, they can't finance everything, and they're trying to maintain. So you shrink what you're trying to maintain to try to hold on to something. And we talked about what power kind of emerged for a thousand years in France. I mean, well, I gave the keyway. One of the worst jokes. I'll have to tell you about a joke that my friend told me um, at some point in time. But, but France emerges as this power in Europe, right? It, it, from Clovis on up through what we talked about the, through the French Revolution. And Napoleon ends it. Between those two, that's where France was dominant in Europe. And this, this third. Right. So those, there's three-thirds of this. There's Europe, barbarian Europe, as dominated by France. There's Rome. And there's the Eastern Empire. Do you remember what we talked about, what religious views? There were two religious views in this part of the world in terms of Christianity. Two main views about God. What are they? Not yet. Not Muslims. Muslims coming. Islam is coming uh, in 622. But in the 400s, there were two main views about God. You mean Jews and Gentiles? No. Within the Christ, within I should be more specific. Within Christianity. Okay. So there's the Trinity view, and there is there's the Arian view. Yes, that that Jesus was made by God. And we, interestingly enough, the barbarians accepted the Aryan view, and the Eastern Empire, all of those, Constantine, all of those, they accepted for, for like the next 60 years after the fall of Rome, they all accepted this Aryan view. The bishops in Rome didn't. They had this. They had the Trinity view, and they were the minority. And as Satan regroups, he takes a third of the stars, not angels up in heaven. I don't believe. I think these are people. 
I think he takes a third of the bishops. He says, I'm going to work with this. Now, they're true. They taught the truth, which is interesting to me. He didn't take the two-thirds that were teaching the lie. He takes a third that are teaching the truth. What is the best place to hide a lie? In plain sight. Right inside of a truth. If you want people to accept it, Arianism is not long for this world. It was only, it was only existed because the power and the military was in favor of it. It's a weak view. It had no great doctors of theology that supported it. A few. But he takes a third of these bishops in Rome and he's going to form something with it. He's known as the deceiver afterwards. This is his new method. Now he's going to be violent as well. But he's going to primarily try to deceive people. And he's going to do so for 1,260 years. So we have this woman in the wilderness and this flood that follows. And we, we talked about all of these efforts to try to persecute and get rid of the Bible. Right? This all comes into play. All sounds familiar. We've, all, we've talked about all of this, really. He wants to annihilate the church. So he does so for 1,260 days, or 1,260 years from 533 to 1793, in which he is the deceiver and takes a third of the stars. She's nourished on what? What should the church be nourished on, do you suppose? The Word of God. The Word of God. Those witnesses, the Holy Spirit, as inspiring. It's kind of interesting thing. These are photos of uh, places that the scriptures were hidden. They made stools and, and had places to hide the Bible. This is a special Bible. This is a small Bible in in, in France, the women had a fashion. They, they wore these super high buns, almost like you know the beehive kind of thing. Not quite that high. These Bibles were specially made so they could hide them in there. God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to nourish you. The church is going to go into hiding, but I'm going to protect it. And it'll come out eventually. It's protected simply by geography. It's too big of a place to enforce everything. This world is too big to enforce everything. People have tried and tried and tried, and it just it doesn't work. I went to the Soviet Union, or former Soviet Union, and the church went into hiding. And as soon as it opened up, bam. Before missionaries got in there, there were churches in there. Why? They just went into hiding. And they emerged when it was kind of safe to come out. They still had their songs. They still had the... They just met in homes. And that's what happens during this period of time. So I want to just kind of 
wrap up with some application here. We talk about the earth being a big place. That's one important thing. Michael's victory over Satan. When we look at this period of time, you notice that it's a period of great suffering in which Michael has a victory. Coming on the heels of this great tribulation. Even when it feels that everything is against you and those sometimes are the moments where God is having his big victories. But it doesn't feel it. it. I might not be the benefactor immediately of those great victories. But God does great things. Remember Elijah comes down from a great victory. What is his reaction? What was his reaction? Oh, poor me. I alone am left. And what could God say? Yeah, not so much. I've got 7,000, I think, last count, that haven't found. Now, 7,000 is not a lot in a, in a country, but it's certainly a lot more than one. We talk about the child that rules with a rod of iron. It seems like Christ, but it's not. It's the church. There are Christians that rule with the rod of iron. I know that sounds almost blasphemous, but it's not. It's kind of an important detail, really. How does the church rule with a rod of iron? You could, you could make reference to like the Inquisition or things like where there were just... The child is the offspring of the church. This is, a, this, is not, this is in this conflict with Satan. Is there a way that the child, meaning the church, meaning what God identifies with the church, can be said to rule the earth with the rod of iron? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like we're really doing a lot of victory. <laughs> Think about the course of history since Christ. Think about that picture of the rock cut out of a mountain and it gathers force as it goes down and it strikes that entire statue at the feet and it crumbles in Daniel chapter 2 and it says it grows and it fills the whole earth that's the church history is different because of the church it took down Rome it outlasted Rome. So the rod of iron is the endurance? Is that what you're I think. I, I mean, I don't know what the rod of iron is. I don't know if it has a specific reference or simply just a reference to the fact that it rules with Christ's authority. It's never been stamped. It's never been stamped. Not even during the French Revolution when they tried. Those, those Bibles and things, those were actually from France. Those pictures are taken from France. Even during the French Revolution, even during the, the great atheism of France. Because, yeah, even here. And oh yeah, just for fun, I'm going to produce Bibles in Voltaire's house. Just for kicks. It could be. It could be. It could be. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 When I think about a rod that's used for ruling, it's a scepter. 
Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And scepters are usually ornate. Yeah. Right? And a, a rod of iron would not be one that's ornate. It's not pretty. <laughs> no. But it still has authority. Yes. You're right. It, it, it's kind of severe. <laughs> right. And it's absolute. You're right. It, it doesn't yield. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different references. Well, this, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, this isn't the only place in the Bible where a rod of iron sure. is referenced for you know, even the rule of Christ. Right. So. Yeah. And, and that's important to remember. That, that we don't rule because we rule. We, we govern because we are heirs with Christ. And then that's the, it goes back to that whole picture of inheritance. We inherit, we inherit Christ's throne. And, and as long as we are within those scriptures, we are identified as his. So we're going to conclude um, with that.